passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. The book of Jude, his description is important for us. He refers to his brother James, but he doesn't make mention of his relationship, his blood relationship to Jesus. He doesn't say, hey, I'm, I'm Jesus' half-brother, so you better listen up. You better listen to what I have to say. No, he simply says, I'm Jude, and I'm a servant, or literally, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. The message that he brings isn't one that comes from any sort of unique authority as the half-brother of Jesus, but simply because he now believes in and therefore belongs to Jesus. And again, can you imagine what would have had to have taken place to make this transition, to see this transition, to, to get to the point where he begins to call himself his half-brother's slave? To go from this outsider, this unbeliever, to now dedicating his entire life to traveling, to tell people about his brother, about what Jesus can do for them. To go from trying to silence his brother to now finding his identity in his relationship to his brother. Can you see this transformation caused by the gospel that goes, that takes place? in Jude's life, to go from this Jewish boy who would say, you shall worship no one but the Lord your God, to referring to his half-brother as the Lord Jesus Christ. You see how the gospel transforms our identity? It transforms who we are. The gospel frees us, but it frees us by giving us a new master. This is what Paul describes in Romans. You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. You will never not dedicate your life to someone or to something. That's true of every single person in this room. You will never not give your life to someone or to something. And many people, they dedicate their entire lives to themselves. They may not say it as such, but the way they spend their time, the way they spend their money, the the focus of their very thoughts is, is on themselves, making sure that they are taken care of. For others, it's something different. It's their family or their career. You will never not be a servant of something. And the question is, what is it that owns your life? For Jude, it took an act of God for him to say, Jesus is worth my everything, and no matter what he asks of me, it is my privilege, it is my pleasure to do it. And this is why it's so important that that Jude doesn't say, hey, I'm Jude, I'm I'm Jesus' half-brother, but he says, hey, I'm Jude, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. Because he gives us perspective on our lives as well. 
that Judas is, yes, he's the half-brother of Jesus, but his blood relationship is insignificant when compared to his subservience relationship to his king and to his Lord. What about you? If you are a follower of Jesus, do you consider yourself a servant of the Lord Jesus? That Jesus is deserving of your total obedience, that whatever else you are, wife, husband, son, daughter, mom, dad, friend, teacher, pastor, you are first and foremost a servant of the Lord Jesus. The gospel transformed Jude and made him a servant of the Lord Jesus. But that's not all that this passage tells us about. Gospel not only transforms Jude, it also transforms those all who follow Jesus. Jesus gives, or Jude gives us this powerful description, three key words to describe those who are in the family of God in the latter half of verse 1. It says this, To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Let's consider each of these in turn. First, he says that they are the called. This is a term the Bible uses whenever it's referring to the people of God. The very reason that there is a people of God is because God has taken the initiative to call people to himself. This is true in the Old Testament where God calls a people to himself. Isaiah chapter 42, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nation. It's true in the New Testament as well. The people of God, the new people of God who are found in Christ, those who belong to Jesus are those that have first been called by the Lord. One of the most, probably one of the most famous passages of the Bible, we see that the, 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 the people who believe God is at work in them, calling them to be a part of his family. Romans chapter 8, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. There's this implication here in the two halves of that verse that those who love God and those who are called are one and the same. Now, I want to be clear. We're standing on a razor's edge right now. Because a lot of times when we hear this word called, it'd be really easy for us to err and, and to, to conclude that to be called removes all this sense of responsibility for us to respond to the call of the gospel, to respond with repentance and faith. And that's one of the reasons why I had Jake read for us the entire book of Jude. Because the, the heart of the action of the book of Jude there at the very end is this calling to keep the faith, to persevere, to keep in the love of Jesus Christ. I love this word called. I think it's one of the most beautiful, most humbling pieces of the gospel story. Is there anything more humbling than the fact that if there is any way, there's any hope of salvation for me, it's because Jesus took the initiative, that Jesus took the first step, that the king of the cosmos left his place in the heavens to take the form of a servant, to give himself for me. 
Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, and even death on a cross. Here's the beauty of this word, of letting it sink deep inside the fabric of our identity. Don't miss it. Your place in the family of God lies solely from the beginning to the end on God's shoulders alone. Jesus left heaven to save you. There would be no salvation if God didn't take the first move. He calls for you to join his family. And as we'll see in a moment, he keeps those who are his until the very end. Now this word called is one of the great mysteries of the gospel, when God is explaining to the people in the Old Testament what it means for them to have been called to, to be his family, to be his followers, this is his own description, his own reasoning. He says this in Deuteronomy chapter 7, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any people that the Lord set his love upon you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. At the very core of why God calls people into his family is because God is a God who keeps his promises to save. Because God is a God who loves to save people. And that's the second component, second piece of our identity that we see here in, in this second half of, of Jude verse 1. Not only are those who follow Jesus called, but they are also loved or beloved by God the Father. To those who are called beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Do you know that God loves you? Not just as his intellectual exercise, not just as the recitation of John 3.16, because we memorized it when we were little, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, but that God loves you. That God is intimately aware of all of the times that you have ignored his prompting. All of the times that you have neglected to do the good that you knew you were supposed to do. All of the times that you have prioritized other things over spending time with him. All of the times that you have compromised your faith in your words and in your deeds and your thoughts, more times than you can count, God the Father loves you. What's more, God didn't need any convincing to love you. It's not as though Jesus says to his Father, hey, you know, they're rough around the edges and and it'll take some time, but, but they'll begin to grow on you. No, from the very beginning, it was the Father who initiated the greatest rescue plan in history because of 
love. Ephesians chapter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. Notice in Jude, verse 1, he he doesn't say, beloved by God, but he says, beloved by God the Father. Beloved in God the Father. See, if you're a, a follower of Jesus, then you are welcomed into the family of God. Now God relates to you as a father, not just as a king. And that change of relationships makes all the difference in the world. A king can be loving toward his people, in a dispassionate way. A king can love those who are his people collectively without actually knowing who they are. But that's not true of a father. That's not true of a father who loves his children intimately. He's he's all too aware of all of his children's faults and failures, and yet he loves them anyway. There is no greater love than the love of the Heavenly Father for His adopted sons and daughters. Trying to describe the weight, the significance of God's love for His children, for those who are part of His family. The Apostle John, he he just cries out. He can't really contain himself. And he says, see what great love the Father has given to us that we should be called God's children. And we are. And we are. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is a core piece of your identity. You no longer have to come to God in fear and in trembling, but you can run into his loving arms. A couple weeks ago, I was, I was actually reading about some early church practices, and I discovered that um, in, in the early church, around the year 200, they, they gave these prescriptions for how you were supposed to pray. And Monday through Saturday, you were supposed to pray while kneeling, but on Sundays, you were not allowed to kneel in prayer. And the reason that was given is because on Sundays, you celebrated the day that you became a part of God's family. And to kneel was unbecoming of a child relating to their father. You are beloved in God the Father. Jude gives one more piece of our identity to those who are called beloved in God the Father, kept for Jesus Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus, not only are you called, not only are you the Father's beloved, but you are also kept for Jesus. Here's the great salve of the gospel on hearts that are filled with anxiety about their heavenly hope. Not only does God call you, but he will keep you. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The one who calls you 
will keep you to the end. There's, there's three sides of this word keep that I just want us to, to focus on. First, when it says that, that Jesus keeps his people, it's a gift of uh, assurance that you don't have to worry about whether or not you are doing your parts or whether this streak of doubt will cause God to disown you. To be kept implies that there is an end goal. I don't keep things in my house that I'm not going to use or have a purpose for in the future. And for Jews' audiences, they're going through this, this time of, of uh, tumult as there's all of this false teaching as people are abandoning the faith. There's this moment where Jude wants to assure the church that as other people are compromising their faith, if you keep the faith, to use the words of, of verse 21, if you, if you keep in the love of God, God will keep you. There's another component to this word kept. Something that is being kept implies that someone is doing the keeping. Someone is guarding you. Someone is protecting you, preserving you, keeping you in the faith so that you can reach that assured end. The question is, who? The answer is found at the end of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Who is it that will keep you? It's your loving Father. Are you not his delight? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, when we understand that we are kept, we see that there is this glorious end that awaits us, and God is the one who, who is keeping us for that end. There's one final piece of this word, kept, and that is, notice that Jude doesn't just say kept, but he, he, he says kept for Jesus Christ. In other words, there's a purpose. There's a reason why God is keeping you, and that is because you are kept for Jesus Christ, that you belong to God because you are Jesus' prize, that you are the great inheritance, the victory prize of the Lord Jesus. When he overcomes sin, when he overcomes death, he will receive a great inheritance, and that is fellowship with his people. Ephesians makes this very clear. For this reason, I keep praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation so that you may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. That you are kept for a purpose, for fellowship with Jesus. You see how the gospel transforms the people of God? To use the language of Ephesians chapter 2, it's those who were once aliens, those who were once strangers, those who were once far off from God have now been brought near into, in the gospel. God brings people into his family. 
That in the gospel, God transforms how people can relate to him. That no longer can you just have to relate to him as this this benevolent creator, but now you can relate to him as a loving father. In the gospel, God keeps those who are his to enjoy him forever. In the gospel, you are called, you are beloved, and you are kept. So where do we go from here? What's the action or the response in this moment? As the people of God, as as servants of Jesus Christ, as those who are called, as those who are beloved, as those who are, are kept, what does this mean for us? That the gospel transforms our very identity, the the very thing about who we are. But why does that matter? Our identity is foundational for every single thing that we do. Your understanding of yourself will transform your actions. And when you let that new identity of who you are in the gospel transform your life, it transforms every part of your life. Life. When we see ourselves as servants of Jesus, it changes how we approach all of life. Our, our priorities are reordered around the mission of Jesus and around obedience to the King. When we see ourselves as servants to Jesus, obedience to following Him, uh, uh, objections to that obedience, they just die in our throats. You never see a good servant who receives an order from their master and they say, no thank you or who ignores what their their Lord asks them to do so that they can go and serve some other master. But we're not just servants. We're also a part of God's family. We're called, beloved, and kept. And I guarantee you that if you dwell on that truth daily, on the fact that you are called, that God took the initiative to come and save you, that you are beloved, that you can talk to God now as a father, that in spite of your faults and spite of your failures, that he sees you as his loving child. When you see yourself as kept for a purpose because you are the great prize of the Lord Jesus, it will change your life. It will lead to a life of worship. I mean, how can it not? How can it not lead to worship when you see that you had no part in your salvation, but but Jesus rescues you anyway from the beginning to the end? Dwelling on this reality will transform your view of God. That he's a father, not cold and not distant, but one who rejoices in your progress in the faith. If you went into my office just right over there, you'll see this bulletin board uh, filled with drawings of um, a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. Um, one of their favorite things to do, um, my kids, one of their favorite things to do is, is to draw pictures and give them to me so I can hang them up here. I actually think part of that is because um, there's so many of them, my wife doesn't want them around the house anymore, and she says, hey, this is a really good one, why don't you give it to dad when he gets home to, to hang up at work? And if you were to go in there Look at them. Objectively, they're not good. Some bad, I know. But, but I never say that to my kids. I never say, what is this? 
That's you? Van Gogh would have done that a whole lot better. You don't respond to a child like that. I think a lot of times we think of God that way, that God, yes, he, he asks for per, per, uh, perfection from us, that he asks us to be fully holy because he is as well, but that doesn't mean that he's not proud of us when we make progress in the faith. When I look at those drawings and I look at what they once were, I see progress, but even more than that, I see that my kids did that because they love me. Because I love them, I cherish those things. And if that's true of me, imperfect, fallen, sinful, conflicted father that I am, how much more is that the case for our perfect, loving, heavenly father? How much more does he get delight when we say no to these things so that we can say yes to him? How much more delight does he receive when when he sees us act like him and say that he is best? The gospel transforms who you are. Let's be a people whose identity is shaped by that gospel transformation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this book, and even just in these, uh, even just in the first verse, the depths that we can mine. God, we ask that you would help us to be a people who see ourselves the way that you see us not because of any merit in ourselves, but solely because of what Christ has done for us. And God, if there's, there, there are people here that they don't belong to you, that they aren't found in Jesus, that it isn't true that they are servants of the Lord Jesus, called, beloved, and kept. And God, if they are feeling right now the, the charge or the, the calling of the gospel, I ask that you would lead them to faith. Help them to respond to the message of the gospel. Thank you that we are called, beloved, and kept. Help us to be faithful servants. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.